Attractionville, we've got something new for you. We've been thinking, so many of you are running on EOS with a variety of experiences. And the best way we can help you execute the tools and components of EOS is to break them down and give you some tips on how to really use them well. That's why we're starting a new weekly segment called Tractionville Tips. In just five minutes, we'll give you our practical advice on how to navigate the challenges and roadblocks you face as you unlock the power of the EOS toolkit. Each week, we'll answer a specific question about a tool, break down a common issue, or provide a helpful tip that you can use in leading your team. Look for Tractionville Tips every Thursday, wherever you're enjoying this podcast. And if you've got a burning question, share it with us. You can submit your question at Tractionville.com. We're here to help you run on EOS and grow as you go. See you for Tractionville Tips every Thursday. The common link has been my desire to connect the right people and solve problems in order to um, hopefully make a positive impact in the lives of others. Because I think business owners and having lived through highs and lows of being a business owner, I think it's probably the most lonely position in an organization. Tractionville, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with Benj Miller. And today, our guest has been called MacGyver. He's been called a connector. Uh, he's been called a confidant. Uh, you could probably call him an entrepreneur. Um, our guest today is Gary Fry. He's run several companies, uh, turned around several companies. Um, tons of entrepreneurial experience. Gary, welcome to Traction, though. It is awesome to be part of this and to see Benj Miller, who has more facial hair than he did the last time I saw him in 2009. <laughs> you might be one of the few people that remember Benj Miller with, without facial hair. Um, but do. it's really fun. It's really fun to reconnect. You know, when we met, you were living in a different part of the country and trying to get back to, to Charlotte. Um, and um, it's it's been fun to watch your journey. But as you when you landed to find out that you were with a firm that runs EOS um, was just felt like a small world, great connection point. And um, sometimes the show is about having on famous people with famous stories. And sometimes it's on about having just really, really good people. Um, that that care a lot about the world around them, and, and Gary, I'd put you in that that category. So, let's start off, and if there's some way to take us through the entertaining past of Gary Fry, could you catch up Tractionville? Oh man! Uh, so the the most simple definition of my zany career journey has been I planned and God laughed it, and that really is true, and it's not meant to be you know, disrespecting to God at all. He just had bigger plans and some, in some ways more terrifying routes than I would have ever taken myself. But, you know, um, Benj and I have a similar past in that we were both designers. We're both creative people. We know how to process in uh, right brain creative sort of thinking, but we also have the ability to translate that to 
left brain um, sequential business people and CEOs. And I think that's another common link. And um, I would have been in the creative world my entire life, I think, had I not discovered uh, partners and proprieties um, about three and a half years after we turned around a company when I was first 28 and then about 31, I think is when I discovered it, which is what brought me to Charlotte, North Carolina, because I wasn't going to destroy him. My name was on the door and um, he made some bad choices, but I wasn't going to destroy him, nor was I going to destroy my name because my name was on the door. So fast forward, you know, we've been through some really crazy things and the um, improprieties of my partner were small in comparison to some other things that we endured. But the, the common link, I suppose, from running a publishing company when it was uh, at bizjournals.com to even doing a turnaround in a, an insulating glass manufacturing company, uh, which I had no business doing that either um, and didn't know anything about that business. But the, the common link has been my desire to connect the right people and solve problems in order to um, hopefully make a positive impact in the lives of others. Because I think business owners and having lived through highs and lows of being a business owner, I think it's probably the most lonely position in an organization. You know, you've got your wife or your spouse holding on for dear life uh, during the tough times. You got a management team that is looking to you. Um, and so there are certain things that it, you're just isolated. And, um, and I have a deep empathy for those. And so I'm very familiar with EOS in that um, the firm that I use or I'm part of that I joined a year ago and a day ago, as a matter of fact, um, has been using EOS with an outside coach. Um, and I know that's not the appropriate term, but um, for the last five years, and I was using um, Vern Harnish's uh, Scaling Up, you know, after his book on, and it was called Gazelles International. Um, I'm not sure what his organization is called now, but I really love the, the principles and programs from that. And then, you know, Gino Wickman took those, and I think he had been part of that organization, and I think he outmarketed Vern, quite frankly. And I think he simplified some things and standardized things to make it to where it was a little bit more implementable for a lot of companies. And so we use L10 meetings. I use a lot of that stuff from Traction and from EOS. And then I also use um, some more of the strategic elements, I suppose, from gazelles and from scaling up in particular. So um, I'm not a, a certified implementer um, and kind of by design, uh, but I have deep respect for both of those platforms. And at the end of the day, I think you got to have a platform. And I think you also need somebody outside the jar to help you read the label when you're running a company, if you're really serious about scaling it. Could you see the impact of EOS in the firm that you were joining as you were vetting out coming on board with them? Oh, big time. Absolutely. And here's one of the, the first indications, you know, yeah, I saw the EOS, you know, I saw their uh, VTO on in, and they've got this big open space, which is really cool where they were, where, where they do prior to COVID. And we will again, Lord willing someday, where we had up to 60 people where we could do, um, you know, 
sessions for specifically business owners. And I saw their, their VTO, I saw their mission statement and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, Oh, this is really good. But words, you know, I've seen a lot of fantastic core values and all kinds of things um, plastered up by companies that were train wrecks on the inside. Um, and so, and I lived through the decimation of a company that I was actually part of when, when I first met you, Bench. Uh, you know, $30 million worth of us got blown up when the thing went down in 09. And it was, it was horrific. And one of the, the issues that was fundamental to that blow up, I think, was the fact that the CEO did not have guardrails. Everybody else had guardrails, but the CEO did not. And so accountability is a huge thing. And um, so I had been approached by a number of other CPA firms in town, which I would have never in my wildest dreams said, oh, yeah, you're going to go work for a CPA firm and you're actually going to have fun. But I'm actually having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have fun in, at a place called work. Um, but these, these folks were interested in alternative revenue streams like my coaching the irony was is none of them had outside coaches and i'm like well i'm not going to be the redheaded stepchild freak show <laughs> and or they wanted me to do pure business development which i love connecting good people to good solutions but hey dude i'm 58 now and uh, an 80-year-old business development dude walking through the front door because I'm probably going to have to be working the rest of my life given what all I lost in 09. Um, that's not going to be all that attractive. So, and given the stuff that I've been through, there's real value in the coaching thing, but it, it's lonely. You know, you're always on the outside of the jar if you're really doing a good job. And I've been hired by many people when I've coached. I've actually, I actually started coaching clients back in 1998 which i can't believe but i was brought in kind of reluctantly to help some guys some friends of mine but at the end of the day um fast forward when um these guys were wanting to hire me either one or the other i'm like i'm not doing one or the other i want to do both and i went back to bgw because i was actually uh doing some seminars for them. I was on some speaking panels for them, especially around culture, which is a really important thing for me. And I went to the CEO and I, the guy that started this in 06, and I said, hey, um, the best business development guy in our city left um, and was COO for another company. And he's out of the marketplace and all these other CPA firms are talking to me you guys are built so differently. You're built for privately held business, uh, businesses and their owners of all sizes. Our biggest one is humongous and our smallest one, some of them are startups. Um, but I said, I think there's an opportunity. And he said, he goes, you know, my management team and they've got eight partners, they've all been pushing for me to do it. But he said, I've always been waiting for the right person. And he said, I always wanted to hire this other guy that's no longer on the market. I said, well, I'm not him, but uh, I said, I think we could do some damage. I'm already sending clients your way. Might as well get paid for it. He said, well, but here's the thing. I've got a $50,000 spending limit. And I'm like, ooh, I love that. You've got a business owner that has embraced guardrails. I like it. That was the proof point. That was the first one for me that was like, 
ooh, they're putting their money where their mouth is. The guy that started this thing, most people are like, hey, I'm rubber stamping that and we're going whether anybody else wants to do it or not. And he's like, no, you know, got to have a simple majority vote. And he's the visionary. He's not the uh, integrator. That's not how he's wired. But I, I was like, wow, that just really works extremely well. And um, and they've seen their business grow uh, uh, in the right way. They've, they've been able to scale it. You know, and you guys have seen it. All roads lead to the entrepreneur, too many roads as they grow. And they have to be able to learn to shed those things, identify the stuff that they're good at, stay in those swim lanes and start delegating and empowering and then holding people accountable in a good sort of way. And so I see the evidence of it, you know, and, um, and the way that we want to scale it, we cannot hit the, the scaling goals without having somebody from the outside helping us read our own label on the jar, but also making sure that we got systems and processes that allow for that growth. So. Gary, you mentioned culture in there that it's a big deal for you. Talk about what yeah. that looks like. What do you, what, you know, everybody has a different definition, different flavor of culture. What do you think the key ingredients are? Well, there are good cultures and bad cultures and I've been in both. And it starts with this one simple thing. Management sets the tone. I don't care what you're saying. I'm looking at how you're behaving and what you tolerate and what you promote is what the culture will be. And um, that's, that is it in a nutshell. Attention visionaries and integrators. Are you doing everything you can to push your leadership team to its greatest potential? If you've read the book Rocket Fuel, written by Gino Wickman and Mark C. Winters, and you're already operating with Rocket Fuel, or maybe you're just looking to get started, then we have the place for you. Introducing Rocket Fuel University a robust community of visionaries and integrators and those who want to help them succeed. You'll have the ability to connect with other visionaries and integrators who are facing the same challenges you are. Tapping into the experience of others will help you get there faster and with less pain. You'll be able to implement the Rocket Fuel structure more effectively. Rocket Fuel University members get exclusive access to live Q&A meetings presented by the Rocket Fuel leadership team. Get unstuck when you're up against something that you're not quite sure how to handle. To get started, visit rocketfueluniversity.com. And if you're really serious about making your VI duo truly great, register today for Rocket Fuel University. That's rocketfueluniversity.com. Yeah, when I, you know, talking with leadership teams, you know, as we go through that exercise of filling out the VTO, right? Who are you? What are you focused on? Because we need that vision shared by all, right? And and I always tell them, remember two things. All eyes are on you guys. And as you go, so go they. So I, I, Amen. I agree 100% with you on that. 100%. Yeah, and here's the thing. I, I didn't think about culture that much until I was at uh, Bank of America. 
and it was called Nations Bank at the time. And we, I was brought in when they had just made the largest bank acquisition in history at that time called Boatman's. And then within two years, we doubled from 80,000 associates to 160,000 associates in less than two years. Boatman's, Barnett, Bank of America. And what I noticed was in each one of those scenarios, the cultures were really, really different. And uh, the culture and the expectations, we had very clear core values defined at Nations Bank. Do the right thing, teamwork and trust, and have a passion for winning. And I had that clearly art articulated to me in, on my first day, one hour meeting, probably with the most impactful meeting that I've ever had in my life with my boss. She's still one of the top execs at Bank of America. And I clearly understood what those things were, et cetera. But then as I was hired really to be a MacGyver and figure out why um, is the Midwest on fire for some reason, this 11 state region that we had acquired, all the metrics were not up to par with all the rest of the metrics that were known when we made acquisitions on the East Coast. And so they're like, well, hey, you're a communications guy, you've run ad agencies, we think it's a communication problem. So I went out and did my MacGyvering and, and basically all internal and external communications had to run through me and this team that I was given. But I had to go figure out what's the deal with the assumption that it's a communication issue. And after meeting with frontline tellers, business bankers, regional execs, et cetera, I came back and I said, yeah, there's a communication issue. And it basically we had, I don't know, hundred million or $200 million worth of advertising that said nation's bank, the sign of more good things to come. And I said, what that really means is you just jacked up my fees. You dropped up my rate of return. Sally, the, the teller's afraid she's going to lose her job. Bob, the business banker had all his loan decision-making authority shipped to Charlotte. So keep your good things. So I said, that was, that's, that's a problem. But the bigger thing is culturally, they don't understand our core values. They don't understand how really empowering and it, very entrepreneurial that place was, even at 80,000 employees or associates, as we call ourselves, under Hugh McCall. And so they said, well, what do you think we should do? And I said, man, I think I would take a page out of what the Ritz-Carlton does. They had this credo card and they did daily stand-ups. I'm not saying, hey, let's do daily stand-ups, but I said to my boss, Helen, if everybody would have a one-on-one -on -one conversation like what you did with me on my first day, where we used this dialogue facilitation tool called a culture card or whatever that had our core values and our purpose and you know things about our, our brand and our mission and what the kind of customer experience journey was supposed to look like, it's a great tool to keep us on the same page. But if we just put this in somebody's mailbox and like, hey, it, then it's just another piece of marketing crap from you know corporate. And it'll actually backfire. So we ended up doing that throughout the, the entire company. And we were just gonna do it in that 11 state region. And at the time, the number two guy, Ken Lewis said, we're gonna do that across the country. Well, I don't know how much that was the direct contributor or not, but we turned the, the numbers as a, as a firm, we turned the numbers about two years ahead of time, what they anticipated that it would be. We started, we started seeing a shift. Well, then when we made additional acquisitions, I was like, man, you know, 
I know the deal guys are going to do what the deal guys want to do from a numbers and metrics standpoint, but culture is the number one thing that rears its ugly head when you make an acquisition. It's the number one thing. And I think it was the last thing, even if it was considered on the due diligence checklist. So that became really passionate. I became very passionate about that. And I also worked with the Daimler Chrysler vans in the United States as part of their brand strategy, which at the time they could not badge that vehicle Mercedes, even though you open up the hood and you see a TriStar logo on the, on the diesel engine. Um, now they've changed that, but it was just in, in North America or just actually in, in, the, in the States because of dealer um, issues. They've resolved those things, but I could not believe the difference between the Detroit people and the German people. Like, it was like, wow. And I remember thinking, I guess you get so-and-so big, you just slam them together and it works. Well, it didn't. I mean, it's, it's a Harvard Business Review case study that years later, so I did that brand strategy, I was involved in that in 2001, 2002, and I what was it, six or seven years later, it blows up and there's billions of dollars that blew up, billions. And they attribute it to culture, culture. And so my whole thing has been, man, you know, if you're going to do an acquisition or call it a merger, which I don't believe in true mergers, quite frankly, because some, somebody's going to take the reins and that culture is usually going to be prevailing. Um, merger is usually used to pacify the one that just got taken over. Uh, in my opinion, this is Gary's opinion. Um, but you better know what you're getting into on the front end. And then once you do, what are you going to do about it to ensure they're leaders that don't care about it? They're just like, you know, command and control my way or the highway, which is fine. I just don't want to work there. I don't want to work with those kind of people either. But those that really do care, a lot of times they don't even know, they don't have the additional tools. Some of them do, but not all of them on, well, how do you, how do you make that more sticky? How do we hire and fire, you know, like having somebody from the outside that challenges those things, which I think EOS actually does a really good job. Gary, what else besides, you know, the obvious is core values. When we talk about culture and mashing two cultures together, core values, is, I don't think anybody would argue that that's nothing but number one. What would you say might be two and three? What are you looking for if you're facing that situation again? Yeah, I, well, I also start with the Simon Sinek why. Why do you exist? You know, when I saw our why at BGW, I was like, oh, wow. Because my most simplified and dumbed down why, after I read Purpose Driven Life in 2003 for about three or four times through, um, I wrote, I want to make a positive difference in the lives of others, period. Super simple. I, you know, a guy from Kansas like me can remember that. When I saw BGWs, it was to make a difference in the lives of our clients, our teammates, and our community. Well, hey, that, that seems pretty doggone similar, you know, and they're really simple and you could say, well, that's too generic or whatever. 
But I see us doing that every day. And I think that's why I get excited about even being part of a CPA firm, which I'm not a CPA. I'm not a CFO. Don't want to be. I've had good ones and I've had bad ones. Um, but when we're driven by that purpose, you know, I spring out of bed in the morning because it makes a difference in the community that I love, which happens to be Charlotte, North Carolina, but we're serving people in other parts of the country too. Tell us about your podcasts. Anything but typical. Why, why'd you start it? What are you doing? Uh, that's, that's been this really fun thing. So I was on a podcast with a young entrepreneur who's 31, did his first um, business at 19 and sold it when he was 24. So he's not that different from you. Uh, Benj and um, sold it and then he was brought in actually to an Edward Jones shop to do a turnaround did that and has successfully done that and I was on his podcast a couple years ago called Success Defined well I don't know that I'm success and I'm trying to define myself I suppose but it was a fun thing and we got to know each other he approached me in December and said, hey, would you ever consider doing a podcast with me? I'm like, oh, I'd love to do that under this condition. I want to call it anything but typical. And he goes, oh, I kind of like that. Why? And I said, because I think one, every one of us has a unique thumbprint by design, by design. And I think every one of us is anything but typical. But I love highlighting the stories in particular of entrepreneurs who have risked everything, sometimes ended up in flames, sometimes ended up on the top of the podium, sometimes all of those. And, um, and I've seen them um, make huge differences and they have very fascinating story, stories, far more fascinating than mine. And so, that's why we started doing it and um, we've focused primarily on local entrepreneurs in, in Charlotte but because there's so amazing many many ones where a lot of these guys are not telling their stories and I'm pretty good about telling everybody else's story and I like doing that their stories are far more fascinating to me than mine um, so that's what we're doing we've done uh, 12 um, episodes so so far this year so we're just doing every other week and um i don't know we're, we're having fun and you know that was the whole purpose of, of trying to give back trying to highlight other people yeah that's great um and i'm thankful for your thumbprint and how you leave it everywhere you go and in, in such a beautiful way gary as we wrap up um i love to just open-ended question whether it's something hot right now or lifelong but what was as you think about Tractionville and the entrepreneurial community out there, what piece of advice or encouragement or wisdom would you, would you want to leave us with today? You know, I think the biggest thing is um, it's lonely leading a company. And I think that more heads or some heads that are, um, that have been in down that road, maybe different, but have an outside perspective that have been given some tools to really help is invaluable. Um, a friend of mine says it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. And man, that is so true. You know, I, I had my first coach in 19, let's see, when was this 90? <laughs> um, and he was 10,000 bucks a day plus expenses and you paid him up front. 
um, and it was a desperate move, which is he was hired, which is how I got hired to do this turnaround. He helped us think differently. Um, he didn't have the same sort of framework necessarily as EOS, and he, he kind of switched back and forth between coaching and consulting. And he wasn't cheap, but man, he gave us courage and conviction and confidence, which is all of those things that we needed from a guy that had been there. He didn't you know, just leave corporate America and went and did a week-long certification or whatever. He, he had actually been there, and he spoke with authority. Um, that made a huge difference. And I'd say that accelerated our, our, our trajectory dramatically. And so I've, I've lived it and I've experienced it, but that's what I would say is don't try to do it alone. Thank you. And where can we send people to find more about you, podcast, BGW? Yeah, I'd say the easiest thing is probably connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Gary Fry, F-R-E-Y. Uh, you can go check us out. I mean, do a Google search or, you know, go to your favorite podcast platform and look for anything but typical and put my name by it too, because there are some other things called anything but typical and it'll shock you <laughs> what you find. <laughs> so, and then uh, our, our company website is trustbgw.com, T-R-U-S-T-B-G-W.com. So. Wonderful. Thank you, Gary. Tractionville, yeah, we love you. Thanks for joining in. Drop us a line. Let us know what you're liking, what you want to hear. If you've got a recommendation for you, we're all years. We just want to continue to serve the community of EOS companies out there. And we will see you next Tuesday for Tractionville Tuesday. Tractionville Tuesday.